evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. Very excited to be with you tonight on a Wednesday show. Lot to get into. So, obviously, Bryson's best 10 every Wednesday. And listen, normally during the NFL season, when I do Bryson's best 10, I rank my top 10 teams during, you know, during the season, week to week basis, see what we got going on uh, in that regard. But also, during the playoffs, I've done top 10 players. A couple weeks ago, top 10 players go into conference championship game weekend. Last week, I did top 10 Super Bowls. Uh, this week, I'm doing my top 10 players going into this year's uh, Super Bowl. Very excited for y'all to hear that. I've said for, for, for years, the Niners had the best roster in the league. More Chiefs on this list than you might actually think. More on that in about 45 to 50 minutes. Carving up the context, and this is a painful one. It surrounds my man, Clay Thompson, and it's, it's, it's just really unfortunate. I'll... More on that in a half hour. Uh, toward the end of today's show, the team at the NBA trade deadline that can really change their fortunes tomorrow to potentially put themselves in position to go win a championship or bare minimum compete for a championship. I will detail that at the top of the next, uh, or top of the hour, rather. And uh, also in about 15 minutes, the Clippers are absolutely tearing up the league. And I still don't believe them. Uh, so lots to get into in today's show. But first, you know, when we talk about villains you know whatever genre you think when we think villain oftentimes the the first thing we think about is movies the joker is a villain he's crazy he's charismatic oftentimes villain have villains have somewhat of a redeeming quality right and you just we're waiting to see what the joker does next maybe the greatest villain ever darth vader tragic backstory you're like oh the black suit he just exudes evil just evil evil Right? Pick a villain. I'm sorry, the Kansas City Chiefs don't fit that. They just flatly don't. And when we think about sports villains, we think about the New England Patriots. I was a guy who, after that 28-3 comeback by the Patriots on Atlanta back in 2016, which obviously cemented Brady as the GOAT, Mahomes chasing him, but Brady certainly today is the greatest of all time. At that point, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to embrace this. Enjoy it. This is the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. Enjoy why it's here. But I totally got why people rooted against the Patriots. You had the cheating scandals. You had, obviously, they got the six titles in 20 years. They tore up the league for two decades. They had the best quarterback for virtually all of that span. The best coach, uh, in some respects, in some people's opinions, not mine, uh, for a majority of that span. Uh, they drafted well the front half of the dynasty, and they had great defenses. And they just somehow found ways to win these games that looked impossible to win. And I get it. Even my team, the Golden State Warriors, when we were at the top, top, top of the league, especially with Kevin Durant, it was like, okay, this is a great basketball team. Uh, wait a second. The second or third best player on earth just joined. Hold on a minute. Wait, wait a minute. They won 73 games, came and went away from a second straight championship, and now the, the one of the best players on planet earth just joined them, and they didn't have to give up any compensation for it. It wasn't a trade. It was a straight-up free agency. He joined the team. Kevin Durant joined the team. It was like, Okay, I, I as a Warriors fan, I enjoyed every second of it, but I got why people hated Golden State. It was like, my God, nobody can compete with that. It's 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 ridiculous. The Cavs got gentlemen swept that year, and that was a darn good Cavs team. I got the hate for Golden State. I really did. Villains throughout the history of sports. This Chiefs team simply is not a villain in any sense of the word, and I've got five reasons why. Number one, we could put the graphic up. Number one, they drafted all of their stars. 
This isn't a situation where, like the Heatles are another villain, right? LeBron left little old Cleveland to go to big bad Miami to join Dwayne Wade. And Chris Bosh left isolate, geographically isolated Toronto to come down to, to Miami to win championships. Like, outside of D-Wade, Miami handpicked all their stars. They took, they got Ray Allen as well, who hit that big shot. Kansas City drafted all of their star players. I believe that four true stars on this team, two of them superstars, uh, in Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. Mahomes, they took him 10th uh, overall out of Texas Tech in uh, 2017. They drafted Travis Kelsey in the third round in 2013. They drafted Chris Jones in the second round in 2016. And they drafted Legereus Sneed, one of the most underrated players in football, in the fourth round. So they had to find this kid and Travis Kelsey in the fourth round in 2016. 20. So they've drafted all of their star players. For the record, most of their offensive line has been drafted. Key players like Creed Humphrey, my man Trey Smith, go balls. Uh, some of the receivers they drafted, Rasheed Rice, kind of an up-and-coming guy. I mean, you look at the Chiefs up and down the roster. They've got some vets who have been in other places, but by and large, it, it's it's a team that has been handpicked by the outstanding general manager uh, in, I forget his name, Brett Veach, who's done a fantastic job. So they drafted all the stars. not like they just handpicked the best players. They're not like this is maybe a bit hyperbole, but they're not like an expansion team or something like that where they just were allowed to, you know, free reign, take the best quarterback, tight end, corner, defensive lineman. No, they didn't do that. They had to find all those guys. They traded up 17 picks. I think it was 17 picks to go get Mahomes. Travis Kelsey was not immediately a star, so they had to draft and develop and help these guys become the guys they were fully capable of being. That's number one. Number two reason the Chiefs are not villains. We could put this up here. Mahomes, Kelsey, and Reed are about as likable as you can be. So you talk about Andy Reed. First of all, I think everybody agrees. Andy Reed is the, the most likable head coach of a dynasty, and the Chiefs certainly would cement themselves as that. I already believe they are. In the eyes of those who doubt, a, a, a win on Sunday, Chiefs are a dynasty. Probably the most likable coach in the history of professional sports dynasties, right? Andy Reid, you know, he's been around a long time. He took forever. He finally won a championship in 2019. Once he got a great quarterback, he got beat up after all those NFC championship losses in Philly, and he was the bad guy. Oh, my guy, Andy doesn't know what he's doing. Everybody just kind of likes Andy Reid, right? He's kind of like just, just, a, just a big teddy bear. Like, he's just kind of like... It's kind of like your 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 neighbor across the street. You know, like I, I had a neighbor back when I was a kid who, who kind of reminded me of Andy Reid. Just a nice guy, right? Everybody likes Andy Reid. Patrick Mahomes. Okay. His family can be a bit problematic, we'll put it that way. But in terms of him, the individual, he's a pretty nice guy, right? Oh, my God. He had one sideline outburst against Buffalo because guys who have paid millions of dollars to catch pace, passes couldn't do it to save their lives. It took him until week 14 to blow a fuse. I'd have blown a fuse earlier. But Mahomes, likable, right? He's, he's he's a family man. He's 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 charitable. More on that in just a second. Like, you know, good demeanor about him. Plays a flashy game. I love Tom Brady, greatest ever. His game wasn't that flashy. It was more precise. Um, that's kind of how it was. Mahomes is precise, but he can also make plays that justify logic. Kelsey. You know, Kelsey's the type of, obviously, the relationship, relationship with Taylor Swift. But Travis Kelsey's a guy who, fun-loving dude, a little Gronk-ish. You know, every time the Chiefs get to the Super Bowl, he does the, he takes the mic from Jim Nance on CBS. You gotta fight for your right to party! Like, just a fun-loving dude. He's a likable guy. Kind of like the, kind of like the Gronk of this dynasty, so to speak. The difference is Mahomes and Reed are way more likable than Brady and, and Belichick. I never got why people hated Brady individually. Neither here nor there. That's number two. Number three reason the Chiefs are not villains. They're incredibly charitable. 
incredibly charitable. So Mahomes in particular, I read his nonprofit. This is what I read. His nonprofit organization has partnered with 40 plus other nonprofit organizations. I think with, uh, for, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it has something to do with some some children's cancer fund or something like that. Like he helps kids. He's charitable. Uh, Andy Reid, uh, you know, Travis Kelsey involved with, with multiple other things in the community. So are a bunch of other Chiefs players. A lot of guys have been nominated for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Charitable organization, which for the record, a lot of teams are. But it, it's it's not like, and listen, it's not like I, I can think of any team's players that are just stingy. Uh, but the Chiefs are known for doing good work in the community. They embrace Kansas City. It's why they're so beloved. It's not just they win. They embrace Kansas City in the community uh, in the middle of the country. That's the reason number three, the Chiefs are not villains. Number four reason Chiefs are not villains. This is a big one to me. To this point, zero scandals. And that was kind of the thing with New England. Everybody hated, you know, some people hated New England because the winning, whatever. But a lot of people are like, I just can't move past the cheating scandal. Spygate, to me, is the most egregious of all, right? Spygate back in 06, 07, around that time, right? The che- the, the Patriots spying on the New York Jets practice uh, practices. I think it fractured the, the relationship. Eric Mangini, um, who's now a, an analyst at Fox Sports, but he was uh, an assistant coach with Belichick on some of those Patriots Super Bowl teams, became the head coach of the Jets. Belichick kind of broke uh, broke his trust in, in many ways, shapes, and forms by spying on the Jets. And everybody's like, oh, they're cheating. They're spying on practice. Not good. Uh, and then you have Deflategate, which I will, I'll do a whole podcast on this someday, is the most ridiculous scandal I've ever heard in my life. Uh, more on that, you know, in future episodes. But the fact of the matter is those balls were deflated by the cold air of, of New England. It was just a salty linebacker who got pissed off about it and the whole country got mad and Brady got suspended four games and a draft pick was stripped in 2015. But, in general, <clears throat> excuse me, in general, uh, people were pissed off about that. They even had like a second Spygate uh, scandal right before Brady left when they were spying on the Cincinnati Bengals. This is the pre-Burrow Bengals. They didn't know why they had to cheat on Cincinnati, but they're spying on the Bengals. I remember there was a tape from the NFL came out where they caught the, some of the Patriot staffers ref, red-handed, and and uh, one of the, the Patriot staffers said, well, we can, ju- we can delete this, right? And an NFL guy said, damn, it's already been done, bro. So that's three just off the top of my head where it's like, eh, a little fishy. At best, fishy. Deflategate aside. But people pissed off about Deflategate, whatever. No scandals in Kansas City. None. No issues to this point within the Chiefs locker room. No scandals in regard, none in regards to cheating. Nothing. No, I mean, nobody can deny they've won their games fair and square straight up. The Patriots, you could make a case maybe... I don't, but some could make a case that eh, maybe some of those wins might be a, a, a smidgen illegitimate. Again, I don't subscribe to that. Others do. You can't make a case that's the case with Kansas City. No scandals. None. And finally, this is a big one for me as well. I put the two biggest ones you know, last. Biggest one for me, and I talked about this last Wednesday, talked about it all season long. They've introduced new audiences to football. And by new audiences, this can make some people uncomfortable, just like it did on Wednesday, getting some wild numbers on the the Taylor Swift thing. More women are watching the NFL now more than ever because of the Taylor Swift-Travis Kelsey relationship. Obviously, she's at the games uh, supporting her boyfriend. Not doing anything wrong, by the way. Um, Highest-rated season in the National Football League among women since they started tracking that in the year 2000. It's also the highest-rated NFL season in the 18 to 34 age uh, group since 2019, so four years. So the NFL ratings have never been higher, right? Peacock and 
don't think the NFL didn't take advantage of this, knowing that a bunch of uh, Swifties and, and other people who weren't subscribed to Peacock were going to, to to buy a subscription to watch the Chiefs' first playoff game against the Dolphins. I think it was like the, the highest rated event in the history of Peacock, something crazy, right? New audiences are watching football now. Thanks to Taylor Swift. The AFC title game between the Chiefs and the Ravens, I read this last week, highest rated AFC championship game of all time. Of all time. So more people are watching the NFL more than ever. The sport's more popular than ever. You can you are more likely to go to a coworker or a friend and say, Hey, did you see the Chiefs game? Did you blah blah? What did you think? You're more likely to get a response. Like, isn't it always kind of, I've, I've had experiences like that in my life where you go up to somebody, hey, did you see the game? No, I didn't see it. It's like, oh, okay, I, I can't, I don't have anything to say at that point, right? More people are watching the league more than now more than ever. So for those five reasons, and Patrick Mahomes, by the way, was, um, was asked about it, about the whole villain thing. Oh, the Chiefs, the villain. And uh, listen, I think he had a, a good quote. He was asked about if the Chiefs are villains. And he said, quote, I just like winning. If winning causes you to be the villains, I'm okay with that. And listen, some of it is, for some people, it literally just is as simple as, I'm tired of seeing them in the Super Bowl, just like it was with the Patriots. But those other factors didn't exactly help the Patriots. The Warriors got to five straight finals. You know, the Kevin Durant thing, listen, I praise Kevin Durant, and I would have said the same thing if, if that group in Golden State with my Warriors was in Phoenix or something, right, where Kevin Durant plays now. Uh, if that was the case in Phoenix, I'd defend it still. A great player went to a great organization, the best situation he could have possibly gone to. Like, I would have done the same thing. Would have done the exact same thing as Kevin Durant. Any, as any smart business person would do in their own personal business lives. But I understood it to a certain degree because it tipped the scales to so great of a, a degree, nobody had a freaking chance to beat that team. I mean, Cleveland, with LeBron and Kyrie, and Le they got gentlemen swept. I got it. What's the knock on Kansas City in terms of being unlikable outside of, oh, they win too much? I mean, we, listen, we love the Bulls in the 90s. Oh, we loved us some Michael Jordan. Won six championships in eight years, six for six. Love some Michael Jordan and Scotty and Phil Jackson and my man Steve Kerr hitting game-winning shots and Rodman with the colored hair in the second half of the dynasty. We loved us some Chicago Bulls. And by the way, they had tons of scandals. Chiefs have none. Why do we hate Kansas City? I don't know. It's, it's, it's confusing to me. So we can go back over the list and I'll check the comments, see what, what y'all think. Uh, but again, reason number one, the Chiefs aren't villains. Or actually, let's just put the full graphic up. Let's do that. Reason number one for the Chiefs, they drafted all of their stars. Number two, Mahomes, Kelsey, and Reed are as likable as you can be. Number three, incre incredibly charitable. Number four, zero scandals. And number five, they introduce new audiences to football. And hey, isn't that the goal of all of us? There you go. All right, let's look at the comments here. Let's see what y'all think. John, John, John Rivera, Fan Perspective Podcast. Shout out to him. He says, villain might not be the right word, but they are more disliked these days. And I guess, again, it has to be the winning. That's all I can figure because, and obviously the Taylor Swift thing, which I talked about last week, that's a whole different discussion. But it's if it's the winning, then why did we love the Bulls 30 years ago? That's so That's kind of my case. I, to a certain degree, I got why people hated Golden State. I certainly understood why people hated the Patriots. And by the way, you know, I talked about this last night on the 8 o'clock spot. Shout out to all the contestants in the 8 o'clock spot last night, every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Grid Network, the best game show in town on the Grid. I was talking about this last night briefly, that historically speaking, dynasties are great 
for sports, whether in terms of popularity ratings, the whole bit like, and, and, and Dalton Brown, who won the show last night on, on the grid, uh, he, uh, eight o'clock spot. He mentioned that the you know, baseball, and I've talked about this before baseball hasn't had a dynasty since the late nineties Yankees. They have it. Sports never been less popular. Just it, they need a dominant team. That's why I, listen, I'm always going to pull for my Red Sox, but I sort of hope the Dodgers reel off a couple uh, just to make them somewhat of a villain because, hey, they, they got Mookie and they got Freddie Freeman and Otani and Yamamoto. So, you know, it would make sense for the Dodgers to be villains and hopefully potentially a dynasty, although I'd hope my Red Sox first and foremost are a dynasty. Mike Guido, Tyreek Hill had his off-the-field scandal, but nothing team-specific. Sure, yeah, yeah, I, I do remember that. That was around 16, 17, maybe later than that. 1890. It's somewhere around that span early in his career, uh, Tyreek Hill's career. Um, you know, don't need to go into the details of that. But yeah, there was the Tyreek Hill situation. But like you said, Mike, nothing that related to the Chiefs. It wasn't like a situation where multiple players were getting into trouble. Hey, by the way, speaking of multiple players getting into trouble, Cowboys of the 90s. Man, you were talking about, listen, and I, I'm not as aware of the Cowboys, whether or not they were liked or not. They seemed to be kind of embraced where it was Jerry Jones, big, powerful owner for the first couple Super Bowls, it was Jimmy Johnson. This great coach came from Miami and Troy Aitman, this big, good look. Troy Aitman just looked like a quarterback and you had the, <clears throat> excuse me, the flashy receiver, Michael Irvin, this hard hitting defense, this great running back offensive line. Um, I wasn't around the nineties, but to my knowledge, the Cowboys were pretty well, well liked and they had reasons to potentially be a villain in the extent that they have where they reel off three Super Bowls in four years. So I don't know. I'm not, I don't follow on the whole uh, villain thing. It's 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 odd. Like I heard somebody say um, the other day. Like I heard somebody say the other day. Uh, you know, Darth Vader isn't doing commercials with uh, you know State Farm and all this. Like again, Darth Vader the villain, uh, the Joker. Again, those are my two favorite villains of all time. But I don't know. It's it's it, it's odd. Then again, you do all, however have a fringe group of people who think. Uh, that the, the who hit the Chiefs for the fact that, or sorry, for the fact, it's far from it, for the reasons that they hate the Chiefs because it's a psyop from the from the government for Taylor Swift, who's endorsed the current president, and Travis Kelsey, who's endorsed by Pfizer, to come together to get Biden reelected. I don't know. It's 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 do with that what you will. I think that's the fringes, though. I don't think that's exactly the consistent consensus among people that hate the Kansas City Chiefs. Most people are relatively reasonable. At any rate, let's shift to the NBA. So the Los Angeles Clippers have been absolutely rolling. I mean, rolling right now. If you look at the Western Conference standings, it, it is a it is <clears throat> excuse me neck it literally as, as close as it can possibly be uh for that chase of the one seed. there's four teams in the west competing for that one seed in this order from one to four it is clippers thunder timberwolves and the defending champion denver nuggets they are essentially tied for the number one seed in the western conference and so we'll see how that plays out again trade deadline tomorrow i'll talk about that <clears throat> excuse me at the top of the hour but i was thinking about this with the clippers where hey the, you know listen they're they're rolling they're playing great basketball uh, they won the other night. They they scored 149 points of the Atlanta Hawks, right? Won 149 to 144. More on the 144 in just a moment. But everybody, it's 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 a tale as old as time. It's almost getting into like cowboy territory. Everybody's starting to buy into the Clippers. And listen, it is early February. We still have a couple months left in the regular season, and I understand it if you didn't watch the last four years leading up to this one. 
Totally get it. If that's the case, if this is your first year watching the NBA, you're buying the Clippers, I get it. But if I can be sort of a, if I can wave the red flag, please allow me to do so. Because I'm buying the Clippers one iota. Don't care if they've went, that they've won 31 of their last 39 games or 31 and 8 in that span. Playing great offensive basketball, one of the best, if not the best, offensive team in the league in that span. Kawhi's been playing great. You're hearing some rumblings. Hey, is Kawhi in the MVP race? Paul George, and I've always been a Paul George guy, knock on wood, hopefully stays healthy, has continued to stay healthy. And James Harden, tell you what, this has got to got off to a rough start, but James Harden's playing pretty well right now. Efficient and by the way, played not horrible defense. I checked the stats today. Harden has not been bad defensively this year. Westbrook coming off the bench, and I do give Westbrook props for that, uh, for recognizing his role for the team coming off the bench. He's been excellent uh, in that role. And Ty Lue is one of the best coaches in the NBA, one of the five best coaches in the world in the sport of basketball. I believe that to be the case. Get it. Still don't believe in them one, for, one bit. First of all, I maintain I think Denver is... Not the odds-on favorite, not like they're the overwhelming like the Warriors were about five, six years ago, but Denver should be the favorite to win the Western Conference. There's no questions asked if they are healthy. They're the best basketball player in the world, Jamal Murray. Playoff Jamal. Listen, there's playoff Jimmy, which is a monster, but playoff Jamal is legit if you look at his last two postseasons in 2020 and in 2023. But Aaron Gordon, long athletic wing, Michael Porter Jr., good defensive team, well-coached Michael Malone, and they, and they just won last year. Same team. They should be the favorites. Um, not a big buyer in Minnesota. Don't trust their coach. Don't trust anybody else other than Anthony Edwards. With Oklahoma City. Love them. Love their future. Just a little too young. Although I think SGA is special. The Clippers are not going to beat the Denver Nuggets. If they even get to the Western Conference Finals, which they've done one time in the last five years since this whole Kawhi, Paul George era has begun. Because if you look at the last, we can look at, history, because I do think history matters in regards to whether or not we should trust a team. Again, a team like OKC, if they got to the conference finals, I would not be in the slightest bit shocked. Not in the slightest. Now, if they beat Denver, I'd be pretty surprised. But they got to the conference finals, would not be surprised in the least. Uh, because they have the upside, the talent, and the coaching, by the way, to do so. And Sam Presti is a spectacular general manager, and president of basketball operations, whatever role he, uh, that he's in. Let's look at history for the Clippers, shall we? So, this era started, this Kawhi Paul George era started in the 2019-20 season. I happen to be debuting my very own podcast, of which you are currently watching or listening to. And I appreciate you for stopping by, of course. Debuted that show October 21st, 2019. The season tipped off the very next night. And of course, we know that as the COVID season. We had the bubble. And the Clippers were my pick before the year to win the championship. And I certainly was not alone in that regard. I feel like half the media picked the Clippers to win the championship. And... Well, they took care of Dallas in six games. Luka gave them a little bit of a scare, but they won that series in second round against a young Jokic, a young playoff Jamal Murray. Young Denver team has a 3-1 lead down the bubble. No road games. No home games. I get that, but no road games. Let's be honest, the Clippers don't have a home court, uh, or a legitimate one anyway. And they blow a double-digit lead in game five. It's 3-2. They blow a double-digit lead in game six. Now it's tied up and you're in trouble. And they blow a double-digit lead in game seven and get blown out to choke a 3-1 lead, and their coach, Doc Rivers, gets fired. But you know what? Doc Rivers, listen, let's be honest, he has his history of blowing series leads. So we're going to bring in Ty Lue. And here's where the, the history, I think, will catch up to Clippers more in this regard rather than the just choking in the playoffs. 
because they really haven't choked the last few years. It's been a matter of the guys aren't there. Kawhi Leonard tore his ACL in the 2021 playoffs, which is their second playoff run. Second round, Kawhi Leonard is tearing up the playoffs. And then he tears his ACL in the second round against the Jazz. They get to the Western Conference Finals anyway, but a better, more healthy Phoenix Suns team gets the edge, gets the better of the Clippers. There's no Kawhi there. Kind of a beat-up roster. I remember Bookie Cousins was on that team. Just didn't work. Paul George didn't have the best series in the world. 2022, they did not even make the playoffs because Kawhi had missed that season with the ACL tear, and Paul George got COVID right before their do-or-die playing tournament uh, game against the Pelicans, which they lost. So again, when you need him the most, they're not there. Last year, 2023, the fourth run of this Clippers experiment. Kawhi Leonard playing well. So is Paul George. And with a month to go in the regular season, Paul George goes down for the rest of the year. And after two games, Kawhi Leonard, I think he dropped like 38 points. I know he dropped 30 plus in game two against Phoenix after the Clippers had stunned the Suns in game one. There went his knee and Kawhi was gone for the rest of the series. And it was basically Russell Westbrook against Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. That's essentially what what the series boiled, boiled down to at that point. Again, three years in a row. One or the other, or both, in the case of last year and 2022 to a certain degree, we're not there. We're not healthy. Why in God's name am I supposed to believe that's going to automatically change as those guys have gotten older? And by the way, now that they have a guy who is probably the most single, most notorious playoff gagger in NBA history, James Harden. We can go over his history if you'd like. Might as well. We have the time to do so. We could talk about the 2015 Western Conference Finals in which he played the he and the Rockets played my Golden State Warriors, and I'm not going to hold against them that the Rockets lost that series because they Golden State was a better team. 67 wins, Steph was the MVP. Um, here's the problem. James Harden in the closeout game five in the Bay Area not only lost, he broke the NBA single-season playoff game record for turnovers and was awful. 2016, they got outmatched by Golden State. That was a 73-win Warriors team. Not going to hold that against Harden. 2017, they didn't play Golden State yet. Harden had a season that I argued at the time, didn't have a show, but at the time I argued, I think he might be MVP. I thought he was more valuable that year than Westbrook was. Neither here nor there. Game six in San Antonio, I'm sorry, at home against the Spurs with no Tony Parker and no Kawhi Leonard. And James Harden's Rockets get blown out by 39. And Harden looked physically, uh, in terms of his body language, like he wanted no parts of that basketball game. 2018, up 3-2 in a series in which Harden did win league MVP in 2018. Should have been LeBron, but Harden got it that year. Kudos. Facing a Golden State Warriors team, but all of a sudden, maybe looked a touch vulnerable. The most vulnerable they've looked with Kevin Durant, healthy at least. KD was having a rough series. Steph had some rough fourth quarters. Draymond wasn't all that great. Clay, what? What's going on? Up 3-2. Chris Paul's hamstring does go out. Okay, fine. You know what? More on that in just a second. Excuse me. Game six. 17-point lead at the half. They lose by essentially 30 points. Game seven. At home. 15-point halftime lead. And you lead a Rockets team that missed 27 consecutive three-point shots in a game in which you lost by nine. Hard missed a... Big chunk of those. 2019, though, the tables flip. All of a sudden, it is Golden State up 3-2, but they lose 
their star, Kevin Durant. So now, healthy Houston team. James Harden leading the crew. Led the league in scoring that year once again. Facing a Golden State team where Steph was having kind of a clunker, if you look at his numbers, in that series. In a game six at home, again, down 3-2 elimination game, Steph Curry scored just as many points as I did. And uh, I don't know if you could tell, I don't play in the NBA. Scored zero in the first half. Goes off for 33 in the second half, and the Rockets lose in game six with no Kevin Durant on the floor for the Golden State Warriors. 2020, they get blown off the floor by the Lakers in the bubble in a season which, season which Harden again led the league in scoring. 2021, give him a little bit of a pass because he had a hamstring injury. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he was bad in that game seven against the Milwaukee Bucks when it was basically Kevin Durant versus the Milwaukee Bucks. And Kevin came inches away from hitting the game winning shot in game seven. We all remember that. 2022. Down 3-2. Sound familiar? At home, down 3-2 to a less talented Miami Heat team. And Harden disappears in the second half. That game commits some egregious and atrocious and unforgivable turnovers. And the Sixers go down. Some of that blame goes on a B because, let's be honest, he's the best player on that team. 2023, Harden again evaporates in games 6 and 7 against the Boston Celtics after holding a 3-2 lead. So I'm all of a sudden supposed to believe with that guy as your point guard in his playoff history, with your best player, Kawhi Leonard, being the most um, physically compromised uh, star to superstar in basketball, with your number two, Paul George, being in a similar ilk, and I've been a Paul George guy ever since his Pacers days, but that's what he's kind of boiled down. It's boiled down to at this point for him. I'm supposed to all of a sudden believe, by the way, they're playing virtually no defense right now. I get it's the regular season. I understand that. They give up 144 points to the Atlanta Hawks in regulation. They gave up 120. This is just last week, last Friday. Gave up 125 to the Pistons. And that's the team, I think. And some think can maybe win it all. I emphatically beg to differ. They can win a playoff series, sure. They get the right matchup, yeah. I mean, if they take on the Pelicans or all the Brandon Ingram, watch out. B.I. can, BI can get you. Uh, if they get the Jazz or something like that, yeah, sure, they can win that series. But if they get the Lakers, Golden State, heck, a team I don't even believe in, Phoenix, oh, they're going down. They're going down. For factors that have plagued them for the last half decade. And in the case of one of their players, has plagued himself for basically a decade. Really, their only redeeming qualities about the Clippers at this point is Ty Lue's an awesome coach. He can maybe keep them in some of these games. And Westbrook, in a reduced role, can be an impact player for you. But as far as the three guys you're counting on the most, one is a playoff choker. One has had some iffy playoff moments, although some, I think, exaggerated more than has actually been the case in Paul George and he can't stay healthy and their best player is great in the playoffs when he's there. The problem is it's kind of 50-50. That's not a team that's winning a championship. I have a saying, then I'll go to the comments. I have a saying that I use all the time on my show in any sport. And that is if I have more questions than I do answers about you, you are not a contender. You're not. You're, you are not a championship contender. That's the Los Angeles Clippers. That's where they're at. Yep, Mary Grant Jr. says it best in the comments. Death, taxes, and the Clippers will fail and suffer. Indeed, they will, my friend. 
And no, listen, nobody's trolled the Clippers quite like Barry Grant Jr. Now, he's a Lakers fan, so it hits differently for him. You know, he's got his basement. Uh, he's, he's got the, what is it, like a, almost looks like a freaking bathroom. I don't know if it's a coat, bathroom, whatever he wears in his show. Sometimes he talks about the Clippers. Shout out to Barry, host of the All Even podcast uh, on uh, the Grid Network. But uh, you think I control, uh, control, you think I troll the Clippers? Well, Barry Grant Jr., it's, uh, it goes to a different level with, with, with my guy. Shout out to him. Let's see. Looks like, uh, okay, some some news here. The Bengals' safeties coach, Robert Livingston, has been hired by primetime Deion Sanders as his defensive coordinator at Colorado. Okay. Interesting. I try to keep up with some updates on the show as as they come in, but, yeah. Colorado's going to be an interesting spot. They, they were the best... They're the best team, from what I read, I think they're the best team in terms of the transfer portal this cycle. So they can make some noise, especially in the Big Ten. The pack they got the unlucky aspect as as many holes, particularly in the offensive line, as Colorado had last season. Double down. I shouldn't say double down. How do I, how do I phrase this? Add the fact. Add to the fact that the Pac-12 in its swan song was absolutely stacked. Now the good news for them is. Four of those teams are going to a different con. Well, really, the, the whole conference is disbanding, but they want to face uh, four of those teams in USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon. But nonetheless, that's uh, I think Colorado's going to be a good spot come next year. And Deion Sa- said, I saw Deion Sanders say on first take not too long ago, about a month or so ago, that he thought Colorado could get to the college football playoff, which on his face, oh, that's crazy, until you remember 12-team playoff. I don't know if I'll pick them. I'll have to think about that as time goes on throughout this offseason. See what's up there, but maybe. I'm not, I mean, listen, I'm certainly not counting them out. I mean, four and eight, but they were competitive with some of the better teams in the country. So we'll see. Also, too, Nick Saban joining college game day. I saw that earlier today. I, I, I like that. I like that. Nick Saban, you got Saban, McAfee, Desmond Howard, uh, Herb Street, uh, Lee Corso, obviously. The man, the myth, the legend, uh, doing the headgear picks. So, I'll be fun. I'll be fun. I'll, I'll enjoy that. Sa- Sa- Saban is, we know him as kind of like the the hard-nosed coach who really gets on players and stuff, but he can have some fun. I mean, I saw him on a on a, a, a boogie board at, at the beach a couple weeks ago, just enjoying life. And if there's anybody that's got the right to enjoy their retirement, it is Coach Nick Saban, so shout out to him. I'm going to be excited to see him in college game starting next fall. Okay, so this is going to be a tough carving up the context, man, because like usually what I bring to the table in carving up the context is or context is a maybe a narrative that's being pushed or a story that's out there that I have a very different take on and try to add context, obviously, to said story. This is not one of those days. What I'm going, th- what this segment is going to be about, everybody generally, I think, agrees with me. Like we all sort of fall into the same category in what I'm about to talk about. All I'm going to do is provide extra context. So you could say carving up the additional context, if you want to word it that way. We're just going to keep it simple, carving up the context. It's not. It's 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 going to be a rough one, but. A somewhat depressing edition of carving up the context starts right now and is. As primetime Deion Sanders says, please give me my theme music. (music) 
On this week's edition of Carving Up the Context, uh, we're going to talk about a guy. I'm going to talk about a guy that is... I don't think this is hyperbole when I say this individual was a one of the most... I don't know if influential is the right word, but an athlete that was so present during my entire childhood, essentially, or most of it anyway, with my favorite team, the Golden State Warriors. I became a fan of them starting in 2013 after their first, I'm sorry, second round exit to the Spurs that year, which they kind of shocked the world. That was the rise of Steph Curry. <sighs> Said athlete is Clay Thompson. It's been my guy for a very, very long time. So Clay Thompson has um has had a bit of a down season. We'll get to his numbers uh, in just a moment. But uh, against the Brooklyn Nets on Monday, the Warriors who have had a topsy-turvy up and down season uh, throughout the, you know, throughout this th throughout this regular season. Played the Brooklyn Nets on Monday night, got the win. Steph Curry played well, Jonathan Kaminga played well. By the way, Steph and Kaminga the highest scoring duo in the NBA over the last 10 games. Fun fact, Kaminga is really coming to zone. But Clay Thompson was benched in the fourth quarter of this game. He was not in the closing lineup. I mean, guys named Lester and ni nice players, by the way, but Lester Quinones and, and Guy Santos, both who had good nights, got the nod over Clay Thompson. And of course, they finished the game. And Brandon Pajemski as well, the rookie who's played exceptionally well. Great draft pick by, um, by Mike Dunleavy Jr. But Steph played, of course. Draymond played, of course. Kaminga. Pajemski got minutes, and Lester Quinones, and Guy Santos, and these guys, again, a lot of them have to step in for injured warriors, such as Gary Payton II and Chris Paul. But Clay Thompson was benched in the fourth quarter of this game. And he was asked, Clay Thompson was, about being benched. And he, he said, like, they were like, what does it feel like? And Clay was Clay essentially said, not verbatim, but now, what do you think it feels like? Like, I, I've been part of this franchise for 13 years. Like, how do you think I feel? It's, it sucks. And I think Draymond in, in the video had a quote in the background where he was talking about, like, hey, I got benched in game five of the finals one year. Oh, it happens. Uh, I guess maybe trying to lighten up the mood for his guy. But Clay, if you notice, I've talked about all season long. I watch every dribble of every Warriors game. Clay's body language is just, it's bad. It's bad. There was even a, a tape of a game against the Phoenix Suns. It happened, I'm pretty sure it was against the Phoenix Suns. It happened to be the game in which Draymond got thrown out and got the long suspension for the punch on Nurkic. But Clay, at one point, is going to the bench. He's kicking uh, the bench uh, seats, and Steph's trying to like, hey, come on, man, let's, let's, let's go. Lock in, calm down, blah, blah, blah. And Clay's not listening. If Clay's tuning out Steph, it's like, okay, he's really in his own head now, and I've been talking about this for months. What I'm about to say, I've said before, but, Given that the deadline is tomorrow, I think it holds greater significance and greater hurt for me personally in my heart. It's time to move Clay Thompson. It's time to move Clay Thompson. We can look at his numbers, his career stats compared to this year's stats, and they're down in every single category. He averages about 19.6 points per game. Pretty good. Uh, for his career, shoots 45% for the field, which is not bad for a perimeter player. Shoots 41.3% from three. That'll work any day of the week. And has a defensive rating of 109, which is excellent. The, the, the best defensive player in terms of defensive rating is Rudy Gobert. Um, still overrated. Um, but anyways, Rudy Gobert, who's around like 109.4-ish. Clay's 109.6 defensive rating for his career, which is tremendous. This season, those numbers have dipped from 19.6 points per game, first career, 
to 17.1 points per game. The field goal percentage dropped from 45% to about 41.5%. The three-point percentage maybe the most concerning. Clay Thompson, one of the greatest shooters this game has ever seen, goes from 41.3% for his career to this season, 37.1%. And the most, certainly the most concerning, and this completely, absolutely ties into his injury history, a defensive rating for his career of 109.6 to a solid 120. For context, and that is what we provide in Carving It Up Live, context. The defensive rating, put it up one more time, 109.6 for his career, defensive rating 120, defensive rating this year. That is the difference between Giannis's defensive rating this year and Brandon Miller's defensive rating this year, the rookie for Charlotte, second pick in the draft. You're like, Bryson, what does that mean? Giannis Antetokounmpo is among the highest players, uh, among the highest ranked players this year in terms of defensive rating. And he also happens to have won Defensive Player of the Year in his past, within the last half decade. So Giannis is amazing on that end of the floor. Nobody denies that. Brandon Miller has the lowest defensive rating in the league. So that's how far Klay Thompson's falling. From great defensively to, in terms of the gap between Giannis and Brandon Miller this year, from great defensive player to, holy crap, he can't guard anybody. And that, let's be honest, I think we'd all agree if this ties into the crappy luck that he got in back-to-back years. The torn ACL in Game 6 of the 2019 Finals, in which I maintain I will go with to my grave believing this. That had Clay Thompson not gone down in that game six, the Warriors absolutely would have won that game six against Toronto. And I believe we would have won game seven because the pressure on Toronto, they were up 3 1. The Warriors had the momentum. They had won the last two championships. I think we would have won that series if Clay didn't go down, absent Kevin Durant. So he has the ACL tear, but guys have torn their ACL. They've come back and, and, and been great players. A month before the next season starts, the worst injury a basketball player can suffer, his Achilles goes out in a pickup game. So Clay goes from June 2019 to January of 2022 without playing any NBA basketball. Suffering the two the single most devastating injuries a basketball player could suffer. So it's natural the defensive rating just isn't going to be there and it sucks. It, my gosh, it sucks for Clay Thompson. But I remember vividly despite the injuries Coming into the 2021-2022 season, you can go back and check the tape. I'm not lying on this. Going into that year, I said, my Warriors are going to win the finals in 2022. You can go back and check that. I, that's what I said. My man John Rivera was a was a witness to it. He was on the show. Shout out to John John. I said that because I said, you know what? The Warriors, they finished the previous season strong. Steph is still awesome. Draymond is still a catalyst in a positive way, both offensively and defensively. The, these numbers I'm about to show you are about to reflect that. But I said, when Clay Thompson comes back, that's the best team in basketball. And sure enough, Clay came back, averaged about 20 a game, shot a solid percentage from three, had some great playoff games, and the Warriors won the championship. I felt quite validated. And I thought Clay would come back. The injury, maybe wear and tear is the wrong word to use. I guess maybe the right word to use, but or term to use. But he sort of get back to some similar form of the old Clay. And he just hasn't. And he did lead the league in three-point makes for what it's worth a year ago, but he was atrocious in the playoffs, particularly in the second round against the Lakers. And this season has totally been in his own head. I brought up 2021 through 2022 for a reason, though. 
since that point, as a team, every game in the regular season, at least, that the Warriors have played, we could show it right to you right there, 119 wins, 92 losses. Since 2021-22, since that season started, they've won about 56% of their games. So over 500, that's pretty good. That's relatively successful, right? That'll work. The Golden State Warriors, with Steph, since 21-21 through 2022, with Steph, Draymond, and Clay playing in that game, 37 and 34. They went about 52% of their games. Okay. So three games over 500 when Steph, Draymond, and Clay all play. 37 and 34. Here's the disturbing stat they're 33 and 8 when Steph and Draymond play and Clay does not. That's 80% of their games they win when Steph and Draymond are out there and no Clay Thompson. And that goes to what I've said for years, that as much as I love Clay, Draymond has undeniably been the second most important key to this Warriors dynasty. Obviously, it's step number one. Nobody argues that. Draymond, his, his toughness, what he brings to the defensive end of the floor, the telepathy, mental telepathy he has with Steph, like they're always, like they're just on the same wavelength. They always know where the other's going to be. Their chemistry is off the charts on the floor on the offensive end. Draymond has absolutely been more valuable to the dynasty than Clay, and Clay's been valuable. But one more time, with Steph, Clay, and Draymond playing since 2022, they win 52% of their games. When it's just Steph and Draymond with no Clay, they go from 52% of their wins with Clay to winning 80% of their basketball games. So not only is Clay not putting up the requisite stats that we're used to, or even close to what we're used to seeing from Clay, and the injuries certainly play factor. He's not even that valuable anymore. I mean, I mean, he's getting benched for Lester Quinones and Guy Santos and a rookie, impactful rookie, going to be in the Rising Stars game, but Brandon Pajemski. It's time to move Clay. In large part, he's going to be a free agent this summer, and given what Sham Sharani has reported about what him and his agent want, the Warriors would be out of their freaking minds to pay him that. On a discount, sure, you could bring Clay back in a reduced role. Kind of a little a little Westbrook syndrome, very different player from Westbrook. Hasn't reached the highs from an individual perspective that Westbrook's reached. But if Clay sort of accepts a lesser role like Russ did and takes less money, okay. But if Clay maintains his level of here's what I want, the words be out of their minds to pay that. From what I've heard, it's in excess of $30 million a year. They can't do that. They simply cannot do that. They would it, it all but guarantee Steph does not win another championship as a warrior. That, that's what they guarantee, and Steph potentially leaves because of that. It's what I've said all season long about my Golden State Warriors. As bad at times this year has been, three games under 500 at this point, if you have a prime Steph Curry, you have a chance in every single basketball game that you play. But Clay holds you back a little bit from that. The trade deadline is tomorrow, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific. It's it's time. These breakups suck. You, you, when you're with when you're with a person for a long time, it sucks to break up. But when it just doesn't work anymore, it's time. That does not mean Clay will not be beloved in the Bay Area and beloved by all of Dumb Nation and won't get his own statue outside the Chase Center. He'll deserve all and his number retired. Number eleven will never ever ever be worn by another Warrior again. When Clay Thompson, whenever Clay Thompson's Golden State career does end. But it's time. Steph is still awesome. 
Draymond is still a highly impactful player on both ends of the floor. You have the young guys. Kaminga has really, really elevated his level of play. Clay has steadily declined each year since coming back from the injury. And the Warriors are objectively better when he's not on the floor. It's a painful addition of carving up the context, but nonetheless, this is the context. Clay is is not the same player he used to be. That is it for a painful edition of carving up the context. Oh, a big Cavs fan. By the way, Cavs are hot right now. Mike Guido. <laughs> that lead into bringing the humor a little bit. Mike Guido, that lead into carving up the context made me think somebody died. Only, <laughs> only for me to find out Clay Thompson stinks. Listen, it, it it sucks, man. It's you know I've been a Clay guy my my entire life. You know, as a Warriors fan and. To see this decline, man, it, it hurts. And to see his body language, and he just he just looks flat out depressed in the locker room. And I mean, listen, man, I don't know if there's something going on in his personal life. I don't know if it is just as simple as last year, contract year. And I I predicted my worst win the championship before the season. Full disclosure. I'm gonna I'm gonna be completely real with you. I'm not gonna hide from that. You know, I'm not I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. I man, I did pick them also to win in 2022 for what it's worth, but still. Part of the reason I picked them because A, I knew Steph and Draymond. I knew what I was going to get from them. I'm, I'm not worried about those two. I thought Kaminga was going to be, I picked Kaminga this year to win most improved player. He may not win that award, but holy smokes, he's been amazing. He's been awesome over the last month or so and just getting better. He's like 21 years old. And I thought, Clay, hey, rough playoffs, contract year. You know, it's got a, it's a veteran team adding Chris Paul, Gary Payton, Kevon Looney. Kind of step up. It's it's, and maybe he had that in his mind. He's forcing shots. It's he's just not the same player he used to be. He's just he's just not. I wish he was, but we've seen the best of Clay Thompson. We have. But yes, uh, Mike Guido, rest assured. Um, in that regard, nobody, nobody died. Nobody died. But Clay Thompson has been bad this season, leading from from last year as well. Got another comment. Uh, yeah, Mike Aguido East better watch out. Cavs could sneak, uh, some sne- sneak, some teams, shock some teams. Yeah. But listen, Boston, you know, Boston, I picked before the year to make the finals. I think their starting five is the best in the NBA. Denver could make a case, but Boston's my gosh, Tatum, Brown, Porzingis, holiday. Then he can kind of sub in. You want Al Horford in there. You want Derek white in there. Derek White had a valid case to potentially be an all-star this season, but I have questions about the coach. Many have questions about Tatum. I, I'm a Tatum believer more than most, but nonetheless, I get I have more concerns about Jalen Brown than I do Jason Tatum. His handles are bad and not in a good way. Not Kyrie Irving bad, more like I don't know who's the worst. Who's got the worst handle you can think of in your mind? That's that's who Jalen Brown is in that regard. But yeah, listen, the Cavs have been hot, hot over the last month or so. They're the two seed right now out east. I don't believe in the Bucs one iota now that Doc is there, and they're a bad defensive team as is. Uh, what else? You've got the, I don't know, Pacers are a fun team. I don't think they're a contender. Philadelphia, I'm sorry, I don't trust Embiid physically or in terms of his playoff history as well. Even though I like, I like Nick Nurse and I'm a big believer in Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris, but don't trust Embiid in the playoffs. He's yet to get to a conference finals. Who else out east? Just off the top of my head. Knicks, listen. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I... Don't be shocked to see the New York Knicks in the NBA Finals. I'm just, I'm just telling you right now. I'm just telling you right now, okay? If the New York Knicks come June or the NBA Finals, 
I don't mean to sound like Stephen A. Smith, one of the biggest Knicks fans out there. Shout out to Stephen A. I'm just saying. Jalen Brunson is that dude. He is. He is that dude, man. Love Jalen Brunson. Fantastic leader. Fantastic basketball player. Uh, watch out for the New York Knicks. And Miami, they're always Miami, and they're always going to be in the mix. Don't care what's going on. The regular season means nothing with the Miami Heat. Similar to the Clippers, just the reverse, because I know Miami's going to step up in the playoffs. Listen, Donovan Mitchell, I know I'm, I'm hearing some rumors he might be gone from Cleveland. I, I don't know if I totally believe those, but look, great defensive team, well-coached J.B. Bickerstaff. You got your score in Donovan Mitchell, maybe. But it is Cleveland, so, you know, it's it's... They're going to go out in round one, Mike Guido. Unless they play like Atlanta or somebody, they'll be in Atlanta. But uh, it's Cleveland. It's, it's, it's. I defended Cleveland with the whole David Njoku and Micah Parsons thing on Monday. I, I'm not going to be defending Cleveland for some time, okay? That's no, no. It made me sick to do that on Monday, but I had to because it was Micah Parsons. Is, that's a whole other matter. You can. I'm going to upload the video either tonight or tomorrow, my Micah Parsons rant. It's, Yeah. He was he was tripping on that one. Okay, uh, okay, yes, here we go. So uh, always on Wednesday, or at least starting the season, I'm moving forward. Of course, if I can get these uh, graphics uploaded here super fast, I do carving up the context at about the thirty minute mark of the show ish, about a half uh, half hour in, and then I do my Bryson's best ten, my top ten, whatever. Usually, it's top ten players in the NBA. Uh, or sorry, top 10 teams in the NFL. Although I'll do top 10 players in the NBA once the NFL season comes to an end. But over the last couple of weeks, like going the divisional round, there was only eight teams left. So I was like, okay, who are the top eight teams left in the playoffs? I, I made it Bryson's best eight at that point. But uh, last week I did my top 10 Super Bowls of all time. That was a fun segment to do. Uh, I, I maintained the best Super Bowl I've ever seen in my life was Super Bowl 49, Patriots, Seahawks. That game was a movie. Crazy, crazy stuff going on in that one. But... This week, it is Super Bowl week after all. My prediction, of course, coming on Friday along with a host of other things. But I was thinking about the teams. And I've said all season long from the start of the year to now that I thought the Niners had the best roster in all football. And I still maintain that today. It is, you know, Cam Newton. I haven't done a segment on this, but Cam Newton said on last week on his podcast, and he says some wild stuff that's really not based in fact. But he did say, I did agree with this, that Brock Purdy is the 10th best player on the 49ers. And I literally countered it. I'm like, yeah, he's literally the 10th best player. He is the 10th best player on the Niners. Ex exactly 10th. But that does not mean Brock Purdy's not good. Again, more on Brock Purdy later. On tomorrow's show, obviously. But I thought about top 10 players in the game. Top 10 players in Super Bowl 58. So I'm like, okay, you know what? Let's rank them. So we can get the background music uh, getting ready to work right here. Uh, get the background music. So Bryson's best 10, my top 10 players in Super Bowl 58. Here we go. Starting with number 10. At number 10, from the 49ers, it is Dre Greenlaw. Dre Greenlaw, the 10th best player in Super Bowl 58, and here is why. So Dre Greenlaw, I have said, and I talked about of, of all, all season long, on basically every other team except for the 49ers, he'd be the best linebacker of the team. I maintain, obviously, Fred Warner coming up later. I think Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw is one of the best linebacker duos I've ever seen in my life. Just instinctual. Fred Warner's more of a better cover guy than Dre Greenlaw, although Dre can, can, can get in there, get some interceptions. He got one 
you know, he got one against the Packers in the in the second round of the playoffs. He's a guy who's who can make the tackles, he can play coverage, a very smart linebacker, very instinctual linebacker. Both those guys, Fred Warner's a little faster than Drake Greenlaw, but this is a guy who, again, on virtually every other team in the NFL would be your best linebacker. Drake Greenlaw, the 10th best player in Super Bowl 58. At number nine to the Kansas City Chiefs, probably the most underrated player on my list. It is Legereus Sneed. Legereus Sneed, the ninth best player uh, in Super Bowl 58, and here's why. So, the fact that Legereus Sneed was not a pro bowler is a joke. Is a straight-up joke. Just like Tua Tungabailoa being over Josh Allen. And y'all think I hate Josh Allen. Uh, that was for you, Mike. Uh, but l- listen, that was crazy. is not better than Josh Allen. Not by a mile. Same can be said about some of the corners that got in over LeJarius Sneed in the Pro Bowl, but that's okay. He's in the Super Bowl. He's going to show you what he's got. It's the guy in LeJarius Sneed who's against some of the best receivers in all of football. Guys like Amon Ross St. Brown. Guys like uh, Devontae Adams and uh, uh, Jamar Chase. Some of the best wideouts in all of football do to shut them down. Quarterbacks when throwing at LeJarius Sneed complete 51% of their passes. Not to take a shot at this guy, but it's true. That's Tim Tebow numbers. Like, this is a guy who can lock down your best receiver. I don't know if he's going to be on Ayuk. My guess is he'll probably take Ayuk for most of the game on Sunday. He'll probably take Debo at others. Obviously, the Niners don't, aren't exactly short on weapons. But this guy, Legereus Sneed, is arguably the best corner in all football. He is as solid as they come. Legereus Sneed, the ninth best player in Super Bowl 58. At number eight, it is Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa is the eighth best player in Super Bowl 58, and here's why. So, a bit of a down season for Bosa. He had, he had 18 and a half sacks last year, one defensive player of the year. Uh, and he dropped down to about 10 and a half sacks this year. So not quite as impactful players used to be. He did get a new contract. Oftentimes we see guys, it's human nature. You get a new deal. You're not quite as, as impactful as the year before. Lamar Jackson's kind of the, the outlier to that rule. He was great this year up until a couple Sundays ago. But talk about a guy, Nick Bosa, who's, you, you got a game plan for him then some, okay? He can get around the edge. He's as fast, as as, as quick as any pass rush from the league. He's not like a TJ Watt in that regard, but he's still very, very impactful in terms of getting into the quarterback. Uh, listen, I, I heard him say the other day he was whining about some holding call that they didn't call in the Chiefs win in Super Bowl 54. He needs to put that stuff aside, get his head in the game, uh, because he's one of the biggest game wreckers that the NFL has, uh, and the 49ers are... Pretty lucky to have him. They drafted him second overall in 2018. I'm sorry, 2019. Made the Super Bowl that year. He is an absolute game wrecker. Again, bit of a down season. He would have been higher had he had around like 13, 14 sacks. He only had 10 compared to his 18 last year, which led the league. Nonetheless, Nick Bosa, the set, the eighth best player, rather, in Super Bowl 58. At number seven from the Kansas City Chiefs, it is Chris Jones. Chris Jones, the seventh best player in Super Bowl 58. And here's why. So, Chris Jones is somebody who has an extended history of making quarterbacks' life a living hell in the playoffs. Most notably, he did it to Joe Burrow last year in the AFC title game, just getting to the quarterback constantly, being able to force fumbles. Uh, This year, he was great in the AFC title game against Baltimore. He was really good in the—actually, he was great, rather, in that uh, divisional round game against the Buffalo Bills. He was the guy who made the play around the edge on Deion Dawkins, the Bills' left tackle. Look at Chris Jones come off the edge here. Pushing Deion Dawkins into Josh Allen, who missed what could have been a go-ahead touchdown to, I believe it was Shakir in the end zone in that Buffalo Bills loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. So he is a guy who can get to the quarterback. He can stop the run. Uh, and listen, he was the leader of what was the second-best defense, objectively, the second-best defense in all football, second yards, second in points allowed. This guy was the catalyst for all that. And safe to say, whether it's from Kansas City, which I believe it will be, or it's from somebody else, 
My man about to get paid this offseason. Chris Jones, the seventh best player in Super Bowl 58. At number six from the 49ers, it is Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel, the sixth best player in Super Bowl 58, and here's why. I have been a Debo Samuel guy since his days at South Carolina when he was killing my Tennessee Volunteers in the SEC. I mean, this guy put the ball in his hands, and he is magic. Absolute magic. He's physical, as physical as a running back, as quick and shifty, great after the catch, like a wide receiver, like a great wide receiver. Uh, I've said before, he's the best overall offensive player in the National Football League. You can throw the ball to him. He can make plays. You can run the ball with him. He can make plays. And uh, by the way, he has a touchdown pass or two on his resume. So he's the do-it-all type guy, jack of all trades to a certain degree. Is really, really impactful. Uh, I mean, listen, I, I went as far as to say that if he missed that NFC title game against Detroit, I might have actually picked Detroit. He played, played relatively well. He's got two weeks, obviously, to, to get his body right before the game against Kansas City. He made some plays in that Super Bowl his rookie year against the Chiefs in Super Bowl 54 in Miami. This guy is money, money with the ball in his hands. Debo Samuel, the sixth best player in Super Bowl 58. At number five, again, from the 49ers, it is Fred Warner. Fred Warner, the fifth best player in Super Bowl 58, and here's why. Well, he's the best linebacker in all football. Let's not get that twisted. This is a guy who's, again, great in coverage, very instinctual player, great tackler, uh, has been relatively durable uh, throughout the course of his career. When he's healthy, when he's on the field, this is a different Niners defense. Uh, If you look at the numbers, this is a guy who's kind of like the leader, kind of the quarterback for this Niners defense, which, listen, by the way, statistically speaking, these playoffs has simply not been as good as their talent would suggest. However, I think this guy's the type of dude to... To get these guys, obviously they have a really good defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes. But this is a guy who, before the Super Bowl, once the emotions are high, ready to get, you know, getting ready to go. It's a veteran Niners team. They look to 54, not to 57 Greenlaw, not to 97 Bosa, not to anybody else. It's Fred Warner leading that group, getting them ready to go. Uh, this guy is as special of a player as there is, and I think you'll see that in many respects on Sunday in the big game. Fred Warner, the fifth best player in Super Bowl 58. At number four, it is Trent Williams. Trent Williams, the fourth best player in Super Bowl 58, and here's why. So, unquestionably the best left tackle in football, and that's with respect to guys like Panay Sewell, who I think is kind of next in line in that regard. This guy's an absolute tank. That's the only word I know to use to describe this guy. Doesn't give up sacks. Barely, barely gives up pressures. Uh, This guy I've, I've talked about before. Someone called him the Shaq of the NFL in terms of being a left tackle, and I could not agree more. You talk about, I mean, the pancake blocks. Brock Purdy does as, as average as this Niners offensive line has been at times. I think they finished this year ranked by Pro Football Focus 21st. He does not have to worry about pressure coming from his blind side, and we know left tackles are invaluable. Left tackles are kind of like offensive lines. I've said before the old saying that offensive lines are like air conditioning systems. You only notice them when they're not working. Left tackle can be used primarily in that analogy. Trent Williams has been a monster all season long. Guy's a veteran. Guy's played, it seemed like, forever. I can't remember NFL without Trent Williams. He's an undeniable first bout Hall of Famer. Maybe, just maybe, the greatest player in the history of this position. He's an absolute unit. Trent Williams, the fourth best player in Super Bowl 58. At number three from the Kansas City Chiefs, it is Karma. No, I'm sorry. Travis Kelsey. You Swifties will get that reference. Travis Kelsey, the third best player in Super Bowl 58, and here is why. So, I, I read the stat after the, the Chiefs win over the Ravens in the AFC title game. I read the stat the next day that Mahomes is 23 of 27 when throwing to Travis Kelsey. He has, I think, four touchdowns this playoff run. Had a couple against the Bills, a couple more uh, against the, or I think he had one, two. Yeah, against the Baltimore Ravens. 
just a monster. He's He just broke Jerry Rice's record for the most, I believe, is the most catches in playoff history. This guy, listen, security blanket is a disrespect to what this guy's done his whole career. This is year 11 for him, looking to get ring number three. I think he's the greatest tight end of all time. That's with respect to guys like Tony Gonzalez, Gronk, Shannon Sharp, Antonio Gates, Jason Witten, whoever you want to throw out there, this guy's it. Uh, you, know, you can even throw out Kellen Winslow as well. Was a great tight end. This guy's absolute money. When, when in doubt, number 15, Mahomes is going to go throw a number 87, Travis Kelsey. He is, listen, he had a rough regular season, at least by his standards. He didn't break, didn't get to 1,000 receiving yards, which would have been the eighth straight year that he accomplished such a feat, which is incredible. Speaks to his individual greatness. But listen, he dealt with the ankle injury starting with that Minnesota uh, loss. Uh, back in week four. He got the week off in week 18 and looks like the old Travis Kelsey this playoff run. He'll be critical if the Chiefs want to get a third title in five years. Travis Kelsey, the third best player in Super Bowl 58. At number two from the San Francisco 49ers, it is Christian McCaffrey. Chris, excuse me, Christian McCaffrey, the second best player in Super Bowl 58, and here is why. So, in a year where running backs seem less valuable than ever, when you have a guy like Christian who can run the ball effectively and also be a great wide receiver the way his dad was. His dad was a great receiver, but an impactful one nonetheless. Ed McCaffrey with the Denver Broncos back in the 1990s winning those Super Bowls there. Uh, This guy's electric. There's nothing more you can say about him. He's a home run threat every single time he touches the football. One could argue he's the most valuable player on the Niners. Uh, I think Trent Williams is the most valuable player on the Niners. But Christian McCaffrey's the guy who put the ball in his hands again, even more so than Debo Samuel, is is, is money. He's the best uh, running back in the league uh, with respect to Derrick Henry. But he's also, he can also be a great slot receiver. He's fast. He's physical. He's been relatively durable throughout his time in San Francisco. I remember when that trade happened in, I think it was October of 2022. And everybody's like, oh my God, you gave too much up to get Christian McCaffrey. And I said, are you kidding me? This guy had a 2,000-yard season just a couple of years before that, and you give him to Kyle Shanahan? Oh, he's going to tear the league up. And that's exactly what he's done. He's an MVP finalist. And frankly, I think if the Niners win, he's going to be the MVP of the game. Christian McCaffrey, the second-best player in Super Bowl 58. And number one is the obvious. Look, let's not waste any time here. It's Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, the best player in Super Bowl 58, and here is why. I mean, do I really need to tell you why he is... A win away. I, I compared his numbers. Got this graphic from Monday. Compare his numbers to Peyton Manning, who I believe currently is the third greatest quarterback of all time. With a win on Sunday, Mahomes undeniably passes Peyton Manning. That's their playoff numbers side by side, which Mahomes absolutely blows Manning out of the water in virtually every single category. And if you look at Mahomes, this is what's so great about him. I've talked about this. We All we want from our great athletes at times, James Arm's a primary example. Just maintain your level of excellence from the regular season transitioning to the playoffs. Mahomes said, no, 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 I'll do you one better. I'll go the extra mile. It's not crowded there. I am going to go from awesome in the regular season to ridiculous in the playoffs. Okay, he's got the third most wins in playoff history, best win percentage in playoff history. Uh, He's got the most yards per game in NFL playoff history, best touchdown interception ratio in playoff history, best pass rating in playoff history, and best complete percentage in playoff history. He's, He's incredible. By the way, Mahomes has won his last six playoff games. In that span, he's got two AFC title game wins, a Super Bowl win, a Super Bowl MVP, and he's literally not thrown an interception in any of them. Uh, He's taking care of the football, and he understands, given whatever the matchup dictates, if I need to make plays, incredible plays like I needed to against the Buffalo Bills, then I'll make them. But with Baltimore, who's kind of, uh, you know, self-imploding to a certain degree, just going to play it safe. We're going to hit him immediately with this opening drive, hit him with another response drive, 
and kind of play it safe from there. Don't don't screw up. Let them screw up because they're going to with our great defense. And that's what he did. Patrick Mahomes. Come on. What more can be said? There's a reason people are talking about him potentially catching Brady. Patrick Mahomes, the best player in Super Bowl 58. Let's look back in order. Once again, top 10 players. Bryson's best 10 players going into this year's Super Bowl. From 10 to 1 at number 10, it is Drake Greenlaw. At number 9, Legereus Sneed. At number 8, it is Nick Bosa. At number 7, it is, do we have the graphic? There it is, Chris Jones. At number 6, it is Debo Samuel. At number 5, it is Fred Warner. Number 4, Trent Williams. Number 3, Travis Kelsey. Number 2, Christian McCaffrey. And number 1, of course, Patrick Mahomes. Those are my top 10 players going into Super Bowl 58 on Sunday. Very exciting. Obviously, I'll get my prediction for that game on Friday's show. I'd say this time of year, man, it's very bittersweet, you know? Super Bowl, we get, like I've said, since this we knew this matchup last week, when you get the best quarterback in the world against the best roster in the world, those tend to be great games. It's part of the reason I think Super Bowl 49 is the greatest Super Bowl of all time because the best quarterback, Brady, against the best roster slash defense, the Seahawks and the Legion of Boom, and that was, whoo, that was an all-timer, man. Definitely an all-timer. But there you go. By, by the way, you can you can make a similar case about some of those Steelers-Cowboys Super Bowls. I mean, it, like, you can argue those might have been the two best quarterbacks in the league, Bradshaw and Staubach, but those rosters were crazy for Pittsburgh and Dallas. Just Hall of Famers everywhere. Unbelievable. But very similar in this regard. And plus, you got Mr. Relevant Brock Purdy versus... Mount Rushmore quarterback Patrick Mahomes. And by the way, he's still in his 20s, which is scary. But there you go. All right, last segment of the show. NBA trade deadlines tomorrow. It's in, it's, we just passed, it's, 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 we're right now at 7, 10 uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we are about, quick math here, about 20 hours away from the NBA. More like 19 hours plus. 19 hours and change uh, hours away from the NBA trading deadline. Which, by the way, the way the NBA trading deadline, I think they moved it to before the All-Star game a few years ago, so it wouldn't be awkward. Guys play the – there was an incident with DeMarcus Cousins years ago where he was a Sacramento King, and then by the end of the All-Star game, he was a New Orleans Pelican. Like, the NBA didn't want that to happen again, so they put it before the All-Star game. Here's my suggestion for the NBA before I talk about trade scenarios. Here's my suggestion. Push the All-Star back a week. Push it back a week. So it's, you're, it's totally out of the way of NFL. And put the trade deadline – a week after you have it now. So instead of having it the Thursday before the Super Bowl, where it's kind of the it kind of gets buried within NFL news, the NBA wants to have their own thing. I mean, they've already had Christmas Day stolen from from them from the NFL. They've already taken that from them. At least let them have their own trade deadline. So put it a week from the day that they usually have it. So instead of tomorrow, a week from tomorrow, then have the All Star Game ten days after that. So instead of February eighteenth, it'd be February twenty fifth, which I get leads to a very very short. Second half, I said that in air quotes of the regular season, but I think it's it's better than what we have now. So uh, that's where I'm at. But trading deadline, there's a lot of teams that are reportedly active, such as the Sixers. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks are reportedly interested in adding a potential wing. A lot of lot of, a lot of teams potentially you know interested in adding some guys. Brooklyn could be a real real seller. Maybe Mikael Bridges gets dealt. Royce O'Neal potentially they want to just get younger. The the win now guys that are in Brooklyn. Other teams could use them, so we'll see what happens in that regard. Uh, I think I don't think Denver's going to make any deals. Phoenix could. I'm hearing Phoenix could deal guys like Nasir Little, potentially. 
Uh, y'all gonna roll my eyes at the uh, at, y'all are going to roll your eyes at this, but I truly believe it. The Golden State Warriors are just a couple of deals away from being legitimate championship contenders in the Western Conference. Now they will not, barring something massive, which I don't anticipate. They're not going to surpass Denver. That's Denver is the favorite and rightfully so to win the West. But as I have said, and I talked about on Monday's show, when Steph Curry dropped 60 and the Warriors still lost to Atlanta, I said, look, Steph is still awesome. Draymond is still, check the Warriors' offensive and defensive rating with and without Draymond Green. They need Draymond Green. So Steph, Draymond, know what I'm getting from them. The rise of Jonathan Kaminga has changed everything. So you got this Jonathan Kaminga kid, right? He's 21 years old. This is a guy who is a freak in terms of athleticism. He shoots 60, not 50, 61% from uh, from inside of the paint. So he is unstoppable down low. So you've got that taken care of. I mentioned Clay earlier. You need to deal Clay in a contract year. Wiggins, I would be shocked if Wiggins is not dealt. All Everything I'm hearing for the Bay Area tonight is probably Wiggins' last game as a Warrior if he plays. Let's, let's put it that way. If he plays which he may not, just so they can keep him healthy. But you've got the great player, Steph, the, I think the second best player in the world, Steph Curry, the catalyst on offensive defense, Draymond Green, the new kid, Jonathan Kaminga, he's not that new, he's his third year in the league, but relatively new, I guess, speaking in that regard. Unbelievable, and a good defender. What's the issue for Golden State? Not scoring points. As bad as they've been at times, three games under 500, folks, the Warriors are 11th in offensive rating. They're top half of the league, above average. Stephen Kaminga, the highest scoring duo in basketball in the last 10 days or 10 games. They can't stop a nosebleed. That's the issue. Draymond can still defend. Kaminga can defend. That's it. Clay's nowhere near where he used to be defensively. Obviously, nobody's exactly going to mistake Steph Curry on that end of the floor with Gary Payton or somebody. I mean, the original Gary Payton, not his son who plays for the Warriors. Uh, Gary Payton's been out. Chris Paul, not quite the defender he used to be. Wiggins has not been good at all on the defensive end the way he was just two years ago. I don't know what's gone on with Wiggins. It's It's been wild to watch. Add a couple of athletic wings, wings who could shoot. Bam. You got it. Because the fact of the matter is, it's just like when the Lakers made those deals with LeBron last year. Remember, they were hanging around five, under 500. They were like, the, I remember they were as low as the 13 seed last year, climbed all the way up to seven, won their playing game, got to the Western Conference Finals. Why? Because they have one of the greatest players ever, or the greatest player in my estimation, top two minimum, in LeBron James. And if they could get that with a healthy Anthony Davis, who is, after all, coin flip Davis, you don't know what you're going to get in the playoffs from him. But you had Patrick Beverly. Westbrook wasn't in the right role. It just eh, didn't work. Move those guys. By the way, they had um, Kendrick Nunn on that team, I remember. They got Rui, athletic wing who could shoot. Then they went out and got D'Angelo Russell. Certainly not exactly going to give you anything on the defensive end, but can knock down an open perimeter shot if need be. LeBron loves shooters. Uh, they added Jared Vanderbilt. Not much on the offensive end, but man, can he lock you up defensively. I mean, really long, really athletic, perfect fit. Golden State needs that. They don't need more scoring. That's not their issue. They can score on anybody. Problem is anybody can score on them. That's what cost them. That's why you saw Steph rip his jersey darn near in half after he dropped 46 against the Lakers. They couldn't get the stops when necessary down the stretch in regulation, overtime, and double overtime. Fix the defense, which is right now bottom half in the league. Bring it up. Bring the defense up to average, you know, 13th, 14th. Combine that with an offense that's already amazing, bam, there's a title contender. Because let's be honest, OKC 
If OKC makes conference finals again, won't be shocked. Said that earlier in the show. Love Shea, and they're well-coached and got good young talent. But they are a little young. If they lose, I feel like it'll be because they've just never been on that stage before. Minnesota, don't trust them at all. Sorry, don't trust Minnesota. Don't trust Finch. Don't trust the supporting cast. Run Anthony Edwards. Don't trust Cat. Don't trust Rudy Gobert. Really, really, uh, Anthony Edwards and Mike Conley is all I trust in that Minnesota team. For, forget about it. Clippers, stop. I talked about that second block of the show. Stop. Clippers aren't legitimate contenders. Sacramento can't guard anybody. Kind of the similar situation Golden State is now. And Phoenix, to a lesser degree, the Clippers, but sort of has similar issues where can Beal stay healthy? Can KD stay healthy? Books dealt with injuries. Like, that's kind of their issue there. Dallas, the Kyrie issue is still there. Minnesota, I'm sorry, Minnesota. New Orleans, eh. Eh, we don't trust Zion. Couple moves made. Golden State's right back in the mix. Simple as that. Couple of comments here before we get out of here. Uh, God, the blessed one, says Chiefs. It's simple. The Chiefs are, oh, okay, you're talking about my earlier segment about with them being villains. The Chiefs are hated because of social media and the ability for fan bases to interact and talk stuff on, unpre- on an unprecedented level. Yeah, I mean, look, the social media thing may have something to do with it. But again, like I talked about earlier, and I, I listed the five reasons why, and I, and I can I can pull that up. You know, since we got a Chiefs fan in the building, um, Chiefs Kingdom, Not I'm not talking about you uh, in the comments, but Chiefs Kingdom has oddly been kind of mean to me uh, over the last few days, which which part, partly is because I won't put Mahomes over Brady. It's like, well, he's not he's not too Brady. He he can very much can catch Brady. He's just not there yet. But yeah, for for... Um, let me read your username, God, the blessed one, uh, chiefs fam. Uh, here's why they're not villains again. Number one, from one to five, they drafted all their stars. Holmes, Kelsey and Reed are as likable as you can be. They're incredibly charitable. They have zero scandals and they've introduced a new audience to the game of football. Like they're just, the whole villain thing is weird to me. It makes no sense. If it's just cause they win, why do we love the bulls in the nineties? Cause they won a lot and we love the bulls. By the way, middle of the... It's not like everybody hates oh, evil L.A. and New York. Kansas City. I mean, listen, Kansas City isn't exactly Green Bay, Wisconsin, but it's middle of the country, right? They kind of have a reputation, blue-collar, hardworking people, and Kansas City hasn't won a long time. Now they've got this all-time great quarterback, coach, tight end, and now got a great defense. I, I've never, I've never gotten it. I really don't. I know, again, you have the fringes who think, Taylor Swift, this is a sign up from the government to reelect Biden, but that's uh, those are unreasonable people to say the very least. But nonetheless, Chiefs are not villains. Certainly not in the way the Patriots were. All right. That is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by. As always, be sure to catch Carving Up Live on Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. And of course, be sure to like, share, comment. And be sure to hit that big red subscribe button. It helps the channel grow exponentially. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. We're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers, trying to make a late push to get to the 1,000 by Super Bowl 58 on Sunday. So if you have subscribed, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. Please tell your friends about it, your family about it, everybody you know about Carving Up Live, trying to grow this show as much as possible and get to as many people as we can to become to, to grow this, this this family called Carving It Up. So we really appreciate it. If you're not subscribed, hey, if you're on YouTube, just takes a couple seconds. Big red subscribe button down below there. Hit it, and you're part of the Carving It Up family. And just as importantly, be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D. 
the Grid Podcast Network right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Great content creators, great stuff. By the way, Patrick Brown writing articles for the Grid Network's website, doing a fantastic job uh, online as well in terms of our creators on YouTube and anywhere you get your podcasts, please check them out as well. Well, Friday, we looked, it looks like we're going to have some guests on the show. I'll talk about that more as the show gets closer. Going to get my Super Bowl pick. Going to talk some Brock Purdy. I haven't talked a ton of Purdy this week. I'll talk Brock Purdy on Friday and Kyle Shanahan as well. Very excited about that, but loaded show Friday before the Super Bowl. Can't wait. We'll see y'all then. Please stay. Please be sure to stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. This is an issue that really, really means a lot to me. And uh, we got to do what we can as citizens of this great country to address it. Super Bowl 58 is only three Days away. Sorry, three days away. Four days away, rather. Well, three days and change, technically. But it'll be about the first quarter. Usher will be warming up, you know, backstage around this time on Sunday. So we'll see y'all then on Friday. Stay safe out there. God bless y'all. Peace out. Chiefs ain't villains, man. Come on. Shake it off. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. And be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.